The following is a CA original. The mighty sound of the South, tailgating on Tiger Lane. Tom three at the Liberty Bowl. Each one a Memphis football tradition. This is the Tiger Football Podcast. What's happening, Tiger football fans? We are back for another edition of the Tiger Football Podcast. I'm Mark Giannato, Commercial Appeal Sports Columnist. I'm joined, as always, by Evan Barnes, our Tiger Football Beat Writer. Uh, it's a it's a it's a victory podcast. Uh, Tigers get a big win over a ranked SMU team, 28-25, to remain above five to get back above 500, five and four. Avoid that losing record for the first time since 2013. Uh, Really just a, a galvanizing win, it felt like, for the program coming out of the off week. Really impressive performance by all around, uh, coaching staff, players. Um, just felt like a, a win they needed and, and a win that uh, was really satisfying, I think. And now here we are um, with three games to go, and the Tigers are in a in a nice spot in terms of getting bowl, you know, getting bowl eligible again. They need one more win, um, but it just felt like a a stabilizing win for the Tigers. So we're going to break down the SMU game here uh, in just a second. We'll also get you ready for I think a tougher than people are giving it credit for game against ECU coming up at the Liberty Bowl on Saturday. So lots to get to. Um, Evan, I guess let's start with your uh, your perception, how you viewed that win over SMU. What was most impressive to you? I will start with the defense. Um, you mentioned how they kind of saved their season, and I think that's something we'll touch on as we go along. But I want to give a tip of the hat to the defense because that was perhaps their best performance of the season and perhaps, you know, maybe the best performance they've had in, you know, going back to last season because they came out inspired. They came out aggressive. It was something we hadn't really seen that they were getting to the quarterback. Um, they did a great job just right out the gate. I think, you know, they had five sacks where SNU only allowed five sacks this season. They forced two takeaways, two of the three turnovers that Memphis forced, thanks to um, Rodney Owens' game-clinching interception and a fumble recovery by Quindell Johnson where uh, Tanner Mordecai apparently just dribbled the ball because he lost it out of his hands um, and went right to Quindell Johnson. So overall, just a, a inspiring defensive performance that we haven't really seen this year against a quality opponent. And I think that's where, what stood out to me is the defense, apparently they decided, okay, Ryan Silver said they are going to be more aggressive this week. It translated to the defense setting that tone right away. Yeah, I was. Mo- I thought that getting five sacks against an SMU team that had given up only five sacks all year, um, I thought that was a huge difference in the game. You know, I do think SMU played poorly. Um, they 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 came out flat. They look honestly, they look like a team whose coach. There was a report during the middle of the week that their coach had a contract extension to stay there on his desk, and he wasn't going to sign it. Um, it, I, I think their effort kind of reflected that a little bit. They didn't look quite like the same team they'd look like coming into the game. At the same time, I think Memphis forced them to look that way a little bit with how they played. Um, finally, we saw these, we're seeing this veteran defense that we expected early in the year to be, you know, something this team could rely on with a lot of, with some new faces on offense. Um, we finally saw some of these experienced guys 
coming through and making plays. And, you know, I don't know. You know, it's funny. I asked Rodney Owens after the game, did you guys blitz more today? Like, did did you feel you were more aggressive? And he kind of downplayed that. But it just seemed like there were uh, – whether it was just a, you know, a better will up front or whatever, I mean, there was – more pressure on the quarterback than I can remember in a long time for a Memphis defense. And I think you, you know, the turnovers, you know, they, they created turnovers, they, they made big stops and that's now three games in a row where this defense has played pretty well. I mean, and I think this one was the most emphatic in the sense that SMU came in as a top 10 offense in the country, an offense that frankly had moved the ball on just about anyone they'd played um, cause the Navy game, you could kind of, you could kind of, yeah, it was an impressive performance, but you know, Mike McIntyre all has, has a track record against the triple option against teams like Navy. Um, it's a, it's kind of a gimmick offense. Then the UCF game, the defense played pretty well. It just kind of got overlooked because of the quarterback situation and, and yep. with Peter Parrish starting. Um, but I thought, I thought this game against SMU felt like confirmation um, like this is a real trend. This is something that they are building on. And, and now, you know, frankly, I expect the defense to play at or near this level the rest of the way. You hope they can at least. Um, they were the reason Memphis won the game ultimately. Um, I mean, I mean, as, as, you know, as, uh, you know, the Owens interception was emblematic of that. Like they needed a stop to win the game. And the defense delivered a stop to win the game. Yep. Um, really, really encouraging effort. And then on the other side of the ball, Seth Hennigan was back um, after a week of subterfuge from Ryan Silverfield, making it seem like there's, you know, oh, we're getting you know, Parrish is much more ready for this one. Um, <laughs> we got Seth Hennigan in there um, once again, and. One, he looked good, threw for 392 yards, and two, he threw it 53 times. I thought it was notable that it felt like really almost for the first time this season, whether it was Ryan Silverfield or Kevin Johns or both, Memphis kind of embraced that, okay, he may be a true freshman and he may make mistakes, but our best offense is him throwing the ball right now. And whether it was on all those fourth downs they went for um, or just in general the game plan, um, I I thought it was, you know, the smart move um, and and a welcome change of pace rather than try and force feed a run game that has been pretty inconsistent now for two years running. It's interesting you say that because I wrote in my analysis, I said that had they lost that game, one of the criticisms probably you could have had would have been, why did you have your quarterback who was coming off a shoulder injury throwing 53 passes? Now, Ryan did tell us, and Kevin Johns confirmed it on Tuesday, that there was no – they've been told there's no risk of future injury with Hennigan. So that was why it was kind of like, okay. Now, they said the plan was not to throw 53 passes, of course. But, you know, that was something where you're a little bit worried. But I like what you said, though, that they needed to basically rely on his arm, you know, and we've seen hints of that, and they did. So the 53 passes is concerning, but I think, like you said, this team is much better relying on Seth Hennigan to carry them. And we saw against UCF, when you don't have Hennigan, you're in trouble. So I think that was probably the, another takeaway is for all the you know concerns about Hennigan being a freshman, I go back to something I talked to somebody about. 
How many games has he lost for, for Memphis? How many games has his play been the reason that they lost the no, game? No, and if anything, it felt like, for instance, the UTSA game, these games they lost early on, not the UCF game, obviously, but those three games lost early on were partly because they got conservative once they got the lead and they kind of took their foot off the gas pedal. If anything, like, honestly, like, I think they should do, I, I think, like, maybe it's not 53 passes, but, like, I think they should be throwing the ball around a lot these last three games. I think it's their best offense. Um, and now I, I will say what what I do what I what I do think should be emphasized is obviously the fourth downs. They went for fourth down. They went for it on fourth down eight times, converted five. All yep. four touchdown drives they had included pretty dramatic fourth down conversions. A couple fourth and twelve, fourth and elevens. Uh, the the Rodriguez Clark uh, direct snap pass was a fourth down play. Um, there was a fourth. There was a fourth and one. They converted. Um, I want to say the touchdown to one of the Ivory. touchdowns was yeah. The Ivory was a fourth down, and it was great. It was a reflection of the fact that like their kick, and we'll get to this in a second. Their kicking game is horrendous. Like not just not just bad, but embarrassing right now. Um, and 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 I understood why they had to do what they did because you could. I mean, they couldn't kick the ball. Whether right. it's punting or kicking field goals, they just couldn't. Um, and but at the same time, I do wonder, like that game's different if two of those five fourth downs they converted aren't converted. You know what I mean? And you do worry, like if you look at the statistics, like a third of their offense came on fourth down plays, and which is awesome because like Hennigan, his I thought his best throws of the day were on those fourth downs. And again, a reflection of when you have a great quarterback and it looks like that he's trending in that direction, like anything's possible. You have a chance no matter what. Um, even if you have, again, like, a, you know, you can't kick field goals and you can't punt. If you got a quarterback, you got a chance. Um, but how realistic is it to think that is a sustainable formula moving forward? I don't know. Maybe it is, but I, I do wonder, um, you know, can they replicate that moving forward? Or, you know, it, I just don't know if that's a – it worked against SMU and it was awesome. But I don't know if it's sustainable to play that way. Not to, not necessarily not to, to be aggressive. I think they right. should be aggressive. Right. Right. But to, to think you're going to convert 4th and 12 or you're going to score a touchdown on 4th and 11 and you're going to – like you're – like the the odds tell you that is not uh, something you can just rely upon uh, all the time. So if there's one caveat to all this, I'd say it's that. Yeah, no, I think that you know I I, I tried to come up with the words to say it's like they were aggressive out of necessity. It was more like yes, they want to be bold and they want to do all this stuff, but frankly, it was because they had no other choice. And we saw that when they you know those first two field goals didn't go so well. So clearly. I'll be curious what happens against ECU. Will they when they get in those situations, are they just going to be a team that goes for it on fourth down every time? And will it work every time? I don't know. I mean, SMU's passing defense is not good. Let's throw that out there. They were one of the worst passing defenses in the country coming in. And Memphis took full advantage of that. But I think, like you said, I don't know if you can play against ECU. Maybe you beat them without it, but like is it sustainable? I don't know, because honestly, that's living on the edge. And in, in a month like this where you need to try to, you know, 
win, you know, win one more game to get bowl eligible. That's not a, a gambling game that you want to play the whole time. But it looks like Memphis is probably going to have to do that because let's just get into it. The kicking game has been atrocious. It's 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 funny to me you mentioned the run game because I thought about this earlier. The two things Memphis has hung its hat on the past, you know, we'll say history of their program, special teams and running the ball. Those have been two of the biggest parts of this offense that have really, you know, gotten attention and gotten noticed, whether it's, you know, Riley Patterson. Well, if you look the- at who they've if you look at who's playing in the pros right now, it's running. It's their former running backs yeah. and their former kickers. That's that, that, like that's who play, that's who's played that's who's playing in the NFL for the most part. There's some exceptions like Jannard Avery. Like as Brunson, good as the quarterback yes. play's been, none of those guys have been NFL players. Um, no, but I mean the kicking game's a real issue. I don't think they're going to solve it this year. I mean I think you just have to. We're in November now. If there was a solution, I, I think we would have it would have happened already. Um, yeah. It appears David Kemp, the freshman that they brought in, is not ready whether because of injury or because of confidence or whatever, they don't seem to have any, he's not, they have not used him outside after that disastrous debut against Tulsa. Um, Joe Doyle, while admirable his effort um, and early on, I mean, he won them, you know, he won them that Mississippi state game with that 50 some odd yarder. He played a big role in that. I mean, obviously he's not a kicker and, and by trade and he's looked like that. And then even his punting. I mean, he got he block he he kicked a punt off his own teammate in that game. Um, that could have been really costly. Um, and then you know you add in to start the uh, at the end of the first half, they basically gift wrapped ECU a field or excuse me SMU a field goal because they couldn't execute a squib kick properly. Um, so just to I mean honestly. You know, I, I think there needs to be some change. Probably, I mean, frankly, um, the way it's all played out, like, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we see some changes on that in that sort of in that uh, um, area of the ball. Um, you know, because this is, I mean, what what we this isn't just bad; it's unacceptable. Like, it's embarrassingly bad what no. they've done on special teams this year. Ryan said on Monday, it's way below our standards. And let's be honest, it is. Like, Memphis should not be one of the worst teams in field goal kicking or PATs in the country. That's unacceptable. Yeah. Well, but I will say this. The one, the thing, if we look at this big picture, and then we'll move on to ECU, is when, you know, when you look at in the context of going for all, going for all those fourth downs, the aggressiveness of the, of the coaching staff, refreshingly aggressive, um, and just the way this team responded, um, and we talked about last week, there were going to be some uncomfortable questions asked if you fell below 500. And to see the players respond to the coaching staff and the coaching staff respond to the players, frankly, the way they all did, I, I really think spoke well of what, you know, Ryan Silverfield's program. Like they had their backs against the wall and they came out swinging and it seemed like everyone um, responded. Uh, and, and that's, you know, this isn't, this isn't going to be some landmark Memphis football season. That's obvious at this point, but, and I've, I've mentioned this several times throughout the year, there is, there is a certain, um, I, I guess there is a certain, um, value in being able to salvage a seven and five, eight and four type season out of a transitional year. When 
things didn't go as you hoped they would in every game. Like there's value, like the sign of a healthy program sometimes is that is, is having a game like Saturday is being able to, you know, close the year strong, even if you stumbled in the middle of it and, and go to a bowl game again and have a respectable record um, finish above 500 in the league. Like those are things that are signs of healthy programs, even in years when you're not winning 10 games or you're not going to the cotton bowl. Like I think there's some, there's a lot of value in that as well. And and I thought the win over SMU spoke to uh, like maybe all is not well within the Memphis football program. Like there's some serious things that need to probably starting with special teams um, and there's some flaws that probably need to be addressed moving forward. But um, the fact that it, it appears this program still believes in what Ryan Silverfield's selling is uh, is very important. And, and so it was an important win over SMU on Saturday, uh, a, just a stabilizing win, it felt like. And now how, how many games in a row have they won in the month of November now? Evan? Seventeen. 17 games in a row, and they've got three left starting Saturday at the Liberty Bowl against ECU. And like I said at the top, I, I think I, I'm, I, you know, I think this ECU game is going to be just as tough as the SMU game. Um, I, I'm going to say that right now. I think this ECU, this is the best, and it's not saying much because they've been so <laughs> bad lately, it's the best ECU team since Lincoln Riley left. Um, I, I really think that. They're five and four, just like Memphis. And if you look at their losses, I mean, they've lost close to a good Appalachian State team. They lost close to a good NC State team. They lost in overtime to at Houston. Um, and they lost a close game at UCF. Or excuse me, they lost a close game to South Carolina, not NC State. So they just had a big win. Didn't South Carolina just have a big win the other day? Yeah, they beat Florida. Um, So they have a close SEC loss, a uh, lost on the road to a good App State team to start the year, beat Marshall on the road, uh, beat Tulane, lost close at UCF, lost in overtime uh, at Houston, beat South Florida, and then they're coming off this past week a 45-3 win over Temple. And need I remind you, a Temple team that beat Memphis um, not that long ago. So this is an improving ECU team that is, I'm assuming, highly motivated to get bowl eligible. And they have three games to do it. They have at Memphis, at Navy, and then Cincinnati at home. Um, So no gimmies left for ECU. Um, but I just think this is going to be a tough game for Memphis. Um, it's at home. That's the good, good news. Um, but they're going to have to play well to win this. They can't, this is not a game. I mean, this is not a game where you can have, you know, it's just like that, those temple and Tulsa and all those games. Like if you turn the ball over, if you don't, if you don't play well, you're not going to win. And we should note that this is an ECU team that I believe is one of the highest ranked teams in terms of creating turnovers. I think um, they've had they had 16 straight games, forcing at least one takeaway before the Temple game. 
And if I'm not mistaken, they are in total turnovers game. They are tied for 12th in the country. So, yeah, got to take care of the ball this game because this team is is looking for it. Kevin Johns, the offensive coordinator, told us on um, Tuesday that this is something that they've been preaching this week, that they have to take care of the ball because this team looks to do that. So I, I don't think for one second this game is a gimme. And you also have on offense for ECU the leading rusher in the AAC, who's a freshman, I think Keaton Mitchell. And mm-hmm. you have a quarterback who is – a proven quarterback who's, who's been playing for them since 2018. So this is an experience. And he's group. had success against Memphis. Yeah, uh-huh. I was I was there three years ago. He he had a great game as a, as a freshman against Memphis. Yeah, Hol- so, Holton Aylers, a- a- and he's yeah. mobile. He's mobile. He can move a little bit, if I recall correctly. Yep, yep, he can uh-huh. move. Like, it, now they've tried to limit his mobility, but he can get out there. So um, this will be a very tough test for Memphis. They're favored, but I don't think, like you said, this is a game we can just walk in expecting Memphis just. When get win number six easily, it's going to be a tough game. Yeah, no, it's a uh, it's an interesting matchup for sure, um, and not one Memphis can overlook. Um, and it'll, uh, you know, I mean, you erase a lot of the good that you did against SMU if you if you fall short here, because I do think people have this penciled in as a win, even though I'm wary of that. Uh, <laughs> but at this point, I, I just really, like I said last week, I think it's important for Memphis to get bowl eligible. Just make sure you get bowl eligible. You ha- you do have a game against Tulane at the end of the year who, who's having a bad year. Um, the at Houston game is going to be a tough one. Um, so uh, here's an opportunity to build on what you did against SMU. Um, and, and as we mentioned, I'd like I'm interested to see how much of what we saw against SMU carries over. Do we get a fourth straight impressive defensive performance? Um, because in addition, even though, as you mentioned, ECU's 12th in the country and turnovers gained, uh, they are also, they are not, despite that, they are in the country, Evan, they mm-hmm. only rank um, 66th in turnover margin, because in terms of turnovers, lo- uh, turnovers lost, they rank... They are tied for 116th in the country. They have eight, with 18. They have just as many turnovers themselves as turnovers gained. So there's opportunities here for the defense to, uh, you know, like you're going to need to create some turnovers here because this is a team that's been turnover prone um, in ECU. That's that's a way to beat them. So, um, but we we've seen in the past, you know, Memphis teams have have played their best football in November. That's how you win 17 games in a row in November. (laughs) And uh, let's see if this team will be the same way. Um, They got off to a really encouraging start against SMU. Um, Well, we will have tons of coverage over at commercialappeal.com, getting you ready for the game uh, heading into Saturday as well as on game day. Also, make sure you're checking out our Instagram account, at mem.sports. Over on Instagram, you can you can track all our coverage there as well. Make sure you give us a follow. Um, but uh, we shall see. Let's if Memphis maybe Memphis can finish eight and four. That would be you know they wouldn't probably. There, I don't know if it's mathematically possible still for them to make to finish in second in the AAC. I find it hard to believe. But if you could finish seven and five or eight and four this year. I think you feel pretty satisfied given everything this this program's been through over the past couple months. So it's all, it's all about November. You you take care of business, 
and you've done what you've done, like you said, seven and five, eight and four, feels a whole lot better than what we all thought would be six and six. So keep that yeah. in mind. No, it's uh, yeah, get bowl eligible and and finish strong. And uh, looks like they're well on their way. All right, till next time. I was Mark. I was joined by Evan. Uh, thanks so much, and uh, we'll see you at the Liberty Bowl Saturday. The Tiger Football Podcast is a production of the Commercial Appeal.